Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I cannot tell you what it means for me to be back at NCU, and I just thank you. I just want to say NCU is a very special place, and the reason it's special is not because of our buildings, though they are wonderful. It's not even just because of our faculty, even though they're incredible. The reason it's special is because of every single student in this room. And I just want you to know, you might not get this because you're not at another institution, but I was just having supper with someone the other night because I'm in town, and they just they attended our, our graduation for the first time last year because they knew people graduating. They're connected to another college. And they said to me, I have never seen students be as supportive of other students as I saw on that graduation. What makes NCU special is your love. And I just want you to know that that's what you have going on, and I am honored to be back here with you guys. Uh, today, I'm going to be preaching a message. I felt the Lord lay on my heart uh, uh, two messages. One, I have given many times before. Another, I am still writing, because I'm going to give it tomorrow, uh, that the Lord said, I want you to talk about this. I'm like, well, I've never talked about that before. He's like, get to writing. Okay, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. That I felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you. The message today, though, is one that I keep coming back to because it keeps getting relevant. I wrote this in the midst of COVID. Uh, because it was a message about taking sides, about how many churches are dividing over politics, over polarization, all these things going on. I felt like this needs to be addressed, and the world keeps telling us that we have to take sides. And so it's in light of that, I felt the Lord say, I want you to share this with North Central. I want you to know that anytime you're in an environment that has a crisis, crisis always leads to conflict and the reason it leads to conflict is because you can't agree on how to solve the crisis. One person says, I think we should do this. Another person says, I think we should do that. Crisis leads to conflict. How many you agree with that? Conflict leads to confusion. Because now that you know what the options are, you're not always sure what the best solution is. Have you ever heard someone speak and you're like, well, that sounds right. And then someone else says, nope, that's completely wrong. And you're like, well, that sounds right too. I'm not really sure which side to choose. I'm not sure who to listen to. Sometimes you listen to people and you're like, well, I think everybody's wrong. There's confusion. Crisis leads to conflict. Conflict leads to confusion. And confusion leads to what I like to call cheap clarity. And what I mean is when people are confused in a culture, they start creating these cheap clarity tests so that I know how someone's going to answer so I know whether or not I'm safe with them. So during COVID, tell me what your opinion is on vaccines. Tell me what your opinion is on masks. Tell me how you would answer this question. Tell me how you would answer that question. Today, tell me how you feel about Israel and Palestine. I'm wanting you to give me an answer so I know whether or not I'm safe with you. I'm looking for cheap clarity, right? So that I can handle my way through the confusion. And I want you to know, in the time of the New Testament, they were facing the same thing. 
The crisis they were facing was Israel was an oppressed people. Israel did not have the right of self-determination. Israel wasn't even sure because of the car crisis how to be the right kind of Israel. So you have different options for being Jewish. You have one group that says, if we just maintain the temple, that's where we find the presence of God. That's what makes us God's people. Everything revolves around the temple. That group was known as the Sadducees. You have another group that says, look, the reason that we're not free is because we're not following God's law. If we could just get all the people on the same page, do what God wants us to do, then he'll set us free. That group was known as the Pharisees. Then you have another group that says, look, why can't we just free ourselves? Why do we have to wait for God to do it? Maybe God wants to use us. Maybe we could use violence to be free. They were known as the zealots. Then you have another group that says, look, even though we're under Roman oppression, Rome has given us a king. His name is Herod. Why don't we just ride this wave? They were known as the Herodians. And here's the point. Which side are you on? When Jesus comes on the scene, people are trying to, throughout the Gospels, figure out which side Jesus is on. Jesus preaches and teaches in the temple. Aha, he's a Sadducee. No, 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 but he's a rabbi who has disciples. Well, that clearly makes him a Pharisee. No, 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 but he speaks like a revolutionary. Well, then he's kind of a zealot. No, 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 but he eats with sinners. Well, that makes him a Herodian. You're like, well, look at his followers. He has one follower who's friends with the chief priest. Well, that's a Sadducee. No, 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 but he has other followers. One's even called Simon the Zealot. Well, he's a Zealot. No, no, no. One is a tax collector. Well, that makes him Herodian. No, 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 but he still acts like a Pharisee. Oh, come on, Jesus. Choose a side. And what you eventually find is people are coming to Jesus in his teaching, and they're asking him cheap Clarity questions. Because they want to know whose side Jesus is on. Tell me how you would deal with adultery, Jesus. Tell me how you would deal with remarriage, Jesus. Tell me how you would deal with taxes, Jesus. Answer these questions for me so I can know where to place you. And so I can know whether or not I'm going to be safe with you. I mean, know that happens throughout the Gospels. Because there's crisis. There's conflict, there's confusion, and people are trying to figure out where to put Jesus. And the problem is, Jesus is really hard to classify. In fact, Luke chapter 10, we have an incredible story where a man asks Jesus one of these clarity questions, a really important question. A teacher in the law comes up to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus does the rabbi thing, he answers a question by asking a question. In fact, someone once said to a rabbi, why do rabbis always teach by asking questions? To which the rabbi responded, what's wrong with the question? <laughs> Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man says, Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And he says, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your being and love your neighbor as if they were you. And Jesus says to the man, you've answered correctly. Now, Right away, I'm going to say, have you ever been in an argument with someone? Okay, how many of you have a roommate? Okay, have you ever been in an argument with someone? How many of you, in the midst of that argument, realized the other person didn't want to argue with you, and it made you more angry? 
Like, have you ever wanted to be in an argument and the person you're trying to argue with is agreeing with you and you're like, stop agreeing with me. We're arguing right now. The lawyer has come to test Jesus. Jesus says to the lawyer, you're right. And the lawyer is not happy with that answer because I know we're not on the same side. So the text says, wanting to justify himself. He says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now understand, that's actually a really relevant question for the time. And it's relevant for this reason. Leviticus 19 is where we get the great verse, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But in Leviticus 19, there are two groups that are talked about. The first group is your countrymen. We're told repeatedly, you should care for your countrymen. You should take care of your countrymen. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But then the chapter switches and starts talking about the foreigner. The foreigner who lives in your land, who is not a Jew, but they are part of your community. And it says... Treat them as you would treat yourself. But here's what happened. When it was translated from Hebrew into Greek a hundred years before Jesus, the word foreigner was translated, not foreigner, but convert. So who's your neighbor? It's the person who's your countryman, or it's the person who has converted to your way of thinking. So when the man says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor, he's asking a really relevant question. And in asking the question, who is my neighbor, what is he also asking? Who's not my neighbor? And asking the question, who do I have to love, what are you also asking? Who do I not have to love? And it's that moment that Jesus gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here's what Jesus says. And we're going to begin here, Luke 10, beginning at verse number 30. I've got to take my glasses off, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now sometimes I think, how many of you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan before? Sometimes I think we miss the point of the story because we identify with the wrong character. When you're reading the story of the Good Samaritan, if you're going to put it in the context of Jesus teaching this, you don't identify with the Samaritan, you identify with the injured man. 
In fact, when Jesus says a certain man was going on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's not making up a road. This is not once upon a time. He's actually talking about a road that everyone knows. There was a road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road was a narrow road. This road had a lot of corners. This was a great road for ambushing people. And many times people wouldn't take this road unless they could get a large enough party to go down this road together because it was a dangerous road. You could imagine Jesus saying to the crowd, a certain man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho on a certain road, and everyone in the crowd was like, oh, we know that road. I had a cousin. He almost died on that road. And he says, and a man was robbed. He was beaten. He was stripped. Why stripped? Because many times in the ancient world, clothes you can't buy, they're handmade. The most valuable thing you're, you have or what you're wearing. He was stripped. He was left half dead. And you identify immediately with this man because that could be you. You're the person who has been beaten. You're the person who has been stripped. You're the person who's lying on the road. And because this road was so dangerous, it wasn't well-traveled. You don't know if you're going to be there and die, bleed out. So when Jesus says... And a priest came by. Your first response is, whew, I'm saved. The priest has shown up. And he says, and the priest saw the man. That's how a fat man runs, by the way. The priest saw the man. And he quickly rushed to the other side. Oh, no! I was going to be saved, and this man ran away from me. What's the likelihood I'm going to see somebody else? And Jesus says, and a Levite came by. Oh, thank goodness, there's another chance. And the Levite saw the man, and he quickly rushed on to the other side. Now, at this point, you're listening to the story, and you've kind of given up hope because you had two people who could come. They were two people that you would think would care most about you from your own culture, and they have avoided you. Now, sometimes when we tell this story, we get hung up on why they went to the other side. Sometimes we're like, well, you know, back then, if, if they're a Levite and they're priests, they work in the temple. If you touch a dead body, it makes you ritually unclean, and maybe they're afraid of uncleanliness. Others have said, well, no, it could be that it, they thought it was a trap. You know, this is a dangerous road. They're traveling by themselves. You see a body lying in the road, you're like, don't stop, because there's people waiting for you when you stop. Here's what I want to argue. The reason Jesus doesn't tell us why is it doesn't matter if you're the injured person. The reasons why people don't help you don't matter when you're the one who needs help. All that matters is that you weren't helped. Why did they go to the other side? I don't know. doesn't matter. I was dying, and they ran away from me. And then Jesus says... And a Samaritan comes by, and immediately, as a Jewish hearer, your heart sinks. A Samaritan? A Samaritan is not my people. A Samaritan are the people I trust the least. And you think to yourself, this poor man, he's been beaten, he's been stripped, he's dying. Two people that could have helped him go on the side, and now a Samaritan shows up? How much worse can this day be? The only thing he has going for him now is at least the Samaritan can't rob him. And then Jesus says, and the Samaritan saw the man. And in the Greek, you know, it says took pity on him in the English translation I read. In the Greek, he felt it down in his bowels. 
he felt the man's situation. In other words, he identified with the man. He rushed to his side. He tended his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He took him to a place and paid for the man's hospital care. And Jesus says to the teacher of the law, which one was the one who showed mercy? And the teacher of the law can't even say the word Samaritan. He just says, which one was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. And Jesus' command is this, go and do likewise. Now, how many of you have heard my mom preach before? So a lot of you have. You know who I'm talking about. She's a little tiny woman, very quiet, very, very, you know, demure. Not really. No, but she's a little tiny woman. A few years ago, my mom, who was alone, my father's passed due to Parkinson's, my mom was at her house, and the house that she lived at at the time had a hill in front of it that sloped down. It was a gravel hill. And at the end of the hill was a retaining wall that was holding up the hill. And it was just gravel all the way down. My mom is outside sweeping the street because it is fall. There are leaves on the street. And she doesn't want leaves in front of her house making it look messy. So how many believe my mom would do that? She's literally sweeping the street to get it clean. She comes up to this hill. She has her cell phone in her front pocket And as she leans down, the cell phone falls out of her pocket. Now, how many of you, if you ever lost your cell phone, would feel like you've lost a part of yourself? Have you ever had that moment where you stand up and you don't immediately feel your cell phone in your pocket and you're like, oh, you know, like my my brain, you know, like I'm looking for it. Her cell phone falls down right at the edge of the hill. My mom leans down to pick it up and she loses her balance. And she goes headfirst down a gravel hill, building up speed until she hits the retaining wall. Now, it's a six-foot retaining wall. My mom is bleeding. She is injured. She's crumpled up on this side of the wall. She does the only thing she can do. She doesn't have her phone. She cries out for help. At that exact moment... There was a man walking on the other side of the hill who wasn't from that town. He was visiting his family. This guy, his name is Jeff, was a professional stuntman from Los Angeles, California. He was shirtless, covered in tattoos. He was a white guy with dreadlocks, and he had a bone in his nose. He was a short guy. He heard, he didn't even see my mom fall, he just heard a cry for help on the other side of a wall that was taller than him. Like an action hero, Jeff puts both hands on top of the wall, leaps over the wall in one bound, sees my mom, and starts running towards her. And my mom would later say, when she saw someone leap over the wall, dressed or looking the way Jeff did, she said, my first thought was, I've died and I didn't end up where I thought I was going to go. They are coming for me. Jeff ran to her. He picked her up gently. He carried her effortlessly up this steep hill brought her inside her house, began to wipe the blood off of her, and waited with her until help arrived. 
Now, I heard about this. I wanted to meet Jeff because I wanted to say thank you. So when I was in town, I, I asked Jeff was still there if I could meet with him. He said, sure. I wanted to give him my gratitude. I found out he was a stuntman in Hollywood. At the time, I was pastoring a church in Los Angeles. And I'm like, Jeff, man, I'd love to meet you back in L.A. We live in the same place. I'd even like to invite you to church. Jeff immediately stops, holds up his hand, and says, don't say anything more to me about God. I'm not interested. And I respected what he had to say. How many know that Jeff doesn't look like I look? How many know Jeff doesn't believe the way I believe? I'm going to assume Jeff probably doesn't vote the way I vote. But in this story, who was the neighbor? It was Jeff. And what Jesus is saying to us, go and do likewise, is be like Jeff. In other words, when the person you would identify with the least can be your neighbor when you're at your weakest, you need to be a neighbor to them when they're the one in need. When the person you identify with the least can still be your neighbor when you are at your weakest, you need to be their neighbor when they're the one in need. So three points, by the way, now that the introduction's over, I can get to the message. Three points real quick. Number one, this whole thing about, about the Good Samaritan story is about taking sides. The context of it is they're asking Jesus whose side is he on. In the story, Jesus shows people who are taking sides. The priest sees the injured man. What does he do? He runs to the other side. The Levite sees the injured man. What does he do? He runs to the other side. The Samaritan sees the injured man. What does he do? He runs to his side. The whole point of the story is which side are you going to take? And here's the three sides we're called to take. Number one, we always side with Jesus. We always side with Jesus. I want you to be aware that the options this world will give you will always be worldly options. Let me say that again because that was really profound. The options this world will give you will always be worldly options. Understand, we live in a world that loves to package ethical systems together so that if you accept one thing, you have to accept everything. So tell me how you feel about abortion, and I'll tell you how you feel about immigration. Tell me how you feel about immigration, and I'll tell you how you feel about the poor. Tell me how you feel about the poor, I'll tell you how you feel about the police. Tell me how you feel about the police, I'll tell you how you feel about the environment. And we think if we can get somebody to answer one question, we now know everything about them because our world has packaged everything we should think together. And the options this world will give you will always be worldly options, but Jesus is a king above it all. And our side is not with the options the world gives us. Our side is with the king whose throne is above it all. Do not be bound by the options this world gives. Be bound by the choice that Jesus gives you. Always side with Jesus. That also means that you have to be willing to take up a cross. Understand that if you do the Jesus thing, people are always going to misunderstand you because they judge you as if you're not on this side, you're on that side. But here's the thing. Jesus was always misunderstood. 
And sometimes our fear is, is that if I do the Jesus thing, people aren't going to understand what I'm doing. That's okay. The church will never be understood when it acts like the church. The church is only understood when it acts like the world. The world understands the church when it acts like the world. It never understands the church when it acts like the church. It's okay to be misunderstood. It's okay for people to say, but you're not on the right side because they don't see the side you see, and that's Jesus on the throne. Take that side. Secondly, always side with mercy. Always side with mercy. To side with mercy means we avoid taking any side that forces us to move away from the injured. We avoid taking any side that forces us to move away from the injured. We go to the injured. Listen to me. We go to the injured whether we agree with them or not or whether we think they earned their injury or not. We go to the injured whether we agree with them or not or whether we think they earned their injury or not, what matters is their need. What matters is their need. The way the church responds shows people the way that God loves. And don't ever let a difference in tribe fool you into seeing an absence of need. Can I say that again? Don't ever let a difference in tribe fool you into seeing an absence of need. And you might say, but what happens when there's injured on both sides? Then you go to both sides. You go to wherever the people are hurting and you offer whatever you can because that's the way of Jesus. Will you be misunderstood? Absolutely you will. That's fine. That's what it means to follow Christ. Misunderstanding is absolutely part of it. Rejection is absolutely part of it. Follow Jesus. Run to the injured. Always side with mercy. And if you're not sure where you should be, just look for who's hurting. Just look for who's hurting. And finally, side with the church. And what that means is this. Side with each other. Work together to care for those who are in need. Be a church that's intentional about serving each other, about serving the community together, about serving as representatives of Jesus. Can I give you one more quick story? Good, I'm going to anyway. It's just nice if you agree with me. I know a pastor once, when early in his ministry, he was asked by a woman at his church Sunday night, they had service, and she said, would you visit my neighbor tomorrow morning? He said, sure, what's going on? She said, I have a neighbor, she's young, she has cancer said she has a five-year-old and she has a three-year-old, five-year-old boy, three-year-old girl, said her cancer has been debilitating for her. Her husband could not handle taking care of a sick wife and two small children, and he's just left her. She's all alone now with these two small kids. Would you visit her? Pastor said, absolutely. Next morning, first thing he did, he went to the house. So as I walked up and I knocked on the door, what I didn't know that was she was so sick that morning, she couldn't get off the couch. Her five-year-old had actually made food for himself and his sister. The five-year-old comes to the door. He opens the door. He sees the pastor, and the five-year-old's first words are simply this. He goes, sir, are you the man from God? 
Are you the man from God? Our neighbor told us when the man from God gets here, everything is going to change. And the pastor said, I looked at that little boy, and I didn't have the heart to tell him what my name was, what my title was, what my church was. I just looked at him and I said, son, I'm the man from God. So the little boy opened the door. I walked in. I saw his mom laying on the couch. And I walked over to her. And I was praying in my head the entire time. And I said, God, I'm going to pray for her right now. And I'm asking that you not heal her for my sake, that you not even heal her for her sake, but there is a five-year-old who has been told when the man of God gets here, everything's going to change. For this five-year-old, you heal this woman. He said, I prayed for her. After a few minutes, she started feeling well enough to get up and make a better breakfast for her kids. He stayed at that church 18 more years, and when he left, that family was still attending his church. She was healed. And he said for the rest of his life, whenever he did anything in ministry, he would hear the voice of a five-year-old simply asking him, are you the man from God? Our world is asking us if we are the people from God. The world can't solve its own problems because if it could, it already would have. What the world wants to know is that there's people with a difference. There's people who don't operate by the same rules. There's people who are not bound by the same options. Are there a people of God in this room? Because if there are, the world needs to know that you're from God. And they will know that by your love. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to call you forward for prayer because this is not the kind of message where the response should happen down here. This is the kind of message where your response happens out there. So I want you to respond to this, but the way I want you to respond to this is I want you to go out. I want you to pray that God would help you see the injured around you and that you and others with you would work together to meet their need. The world needs to know that there are a people from God. Father, I thank you for this entire community. God, I thank you for this place and for what it's meant to me. I thank you for every faculty, every staff, every student. Lord, you have called us here for this time in this place to learn what we can to be of use to you in this world. This world has needs that only you can meet, but God, you can meet some of those needs through us. Lord, we make ourselves available. Open our eyes to see the injury. Even for those who would act as our enemy, help us to see their need, not just their anger. Lord, help us to love the way you love so the world can know that there are a people from God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.